0: Hello, good evening and welcome to Read With Welly Wise Agatha, your favorite time of the evening. I don't need to be told, I know it's your favorite time of the evening. It's my favorite time of the evening, not just because I get to read, but because you get to listen and not just because you get to listen, but because you learn something amazing. I am so certain that you have learned and you are learning every day that you listen. Thank you for always tuning in from whatever part of the world it is that you are listening to me. You are a very special person to me. I do not take you for granted. You are awesome in my life. You make life worth living for me. Thank you for always tuning in. We have been reading the book, Butterfly in Brazil. I was almost going to say, God is not mad at you. We read God is not mad at you and we're done with God is not mad at you by Joyce Meyer. Tonight we're reading chapter 5 of the book Butterfly in Brazil by Glenn Packham. And chapter 5 is titled All the Small Things. If you have been following, you know, um, I, I I send us um, the link to the podcast on Anchor, so it's it's making a whole lot of things easier for us if you're not able to tune in when we're um reading live you can always catch up on anchor because we put up the recording on anchor podcast and many other platforms that um uh, you can listen so even if you can't catch up here every day you can always click the link and listen on several other platforms like um, Anchor, Spotify, um, Radio, Cool. What is that Radio for Radio Public and other other links as I will send to us um, shortly. We have looked at Chapter One, which is titled "Beginnings," and in Chapter One we saw how that there is a secret to greatness but you know not everybody wants to find out you know not everybody wants to pay the price to greatness and then we saw in chapter 2 storing up greatness and one lesson that resonated for me so much in that chapter is that there is no best place there is no best time other than where you are and the time that you are in because If you're trying to store up greatness, if you're trying to leave it for another day, you just might never do it. So all you need to do is to summon the courage and step out. We looked um, in chapter 3 at history in the making. How you can be a great part of history by just little things that you do. Little things that you dare to step out and begin. And we saw shooting the moon yesterday... In chapter 4 we read the story of the Titanic I was particularly puzzled when I came across that like oh wow so you mean you know like a lot of us have seen the movie Titanic and then we just see that there is this big ship in the middle of the ocean and then there is no help from anywhere but reading that story yesterday I got to learn that it wasn't only the Titanic that was on that ocean it means that there was actually another ship so what happened What happened the reason why they didn't get help or one of the reasons why they didn't get help was because somebody was asleep who would have come to their rescue and would have made an indelible mark in history so we saw in chapter four last night that just being awake a little while you can make a huge difference. So tonight, Chapter 5. Chapter 5 is titled, All the Small Things. If you're just joining us, good evening and welcome to read with Wise Agatha. We're reading Chapter 5 of the book, Butterfly in Brazil, by Glenn Pacquiam. And Chapter 5 is titled, All the Small Things. And need I remind you that what we're trying to learn in this book is the butterfly effect. How we can make big impacts from small beginnings. So let's come along and see what Chapter 5 has for us. Welcome to The Read. The biggest hurdle we face with creating small change is our inability to believe that small things can make a big difference. We want big results, but we question whether small change will take us there. We can imagine how the world would change if we saw our dreams come to life. But we can't imagine that those world-changing dreams could start in such a small way. Imagine this. It's a Thursday in December, it's already dark outside, and a woman named Rosa is just getting off work from her dead-end job hemming pants. Tired after a long day, she's grateful to find a seat on the bus. It's a route and a routine she's followed more times than she can remember. But today something is going to be different. On December 1, 1955, Rosa Parks boarded a bus for home and took an aisle seat next to some other African Americans in the front row of the colored section. A few stops later, as the bus filled up, some white passengers boarded and were unable to find seats. As was customary in Montgomery, Alabama in those days, the bus driver simply shifted the boundary of the white section and expected the passengers seated there to move toward the back of the bus. In compliance with the driver's demand, three black passengers gave up their seats, but Rosa Parks simply moved over to the window seat and sat back down. When she refused to move, the bus driver called the police and had her arrested for violating a city ordinance. On that first day of December, Mrs. Parks made a small change that affected the course of American history, but that wasn't what she set out to do. She did not speak with an eloquence that would command attention or earn her recognition. When she took her seat on the bus, she wasn't trying to stir up controversy. She did not know that thousands of other people would back her up and support her, or that the African-American community in Montgomery would subsequently organize a bus boycott as a result of her arrest. She had no idea she was making history. All she knew was that she was not going to give up her seat. Rosa Parks may have dreamed of changing the world. Certainly, she wanted to see a world without segregation. Her dream was no different from that of most African-Americans at that time. What was a pact acted on that dream. She saw a glimpse of her world changing dream in a small change, in moving to the window seats to allow a white person to sit down. That one small change gave birth to a much bigger change, but it might not have happened if she had tried to shoot the moon and go for the big change all at once. It was her small, simple change that made the difference working for the weekend. What would you have done in Rosa Parks' place? It was just another Thursday, another bus ride home. I suspect that for most of us, Friday would have been on our minds. The weekend was right around the corner, one more day between work and play. For many people, it seems nothing exciting happens during the week. They're doing work that others require. It's not their passion or their purpose. But on the weekend, weekends are their opportunity to do something they love, to pursue what they really want to do. Why do we wait for the weekend? Is it because we despise the week? And do we aim for the grand because we despise the ordinary? Despising small things leads to ignoring them avoiding them, and eventually trying to escape them altogether. But if we're waiting for the weekend to do the things we really care about, we're no longer leaving to work. We're merely working to live. And in the meantime, well, we miss the meantime. We miss the opportunities that present themselves during the week, during the majority of our waking lives. Before we know it, our whole lives can become the week. While we're waiting for our shot at greatness. For many followers of Jesus, it seems that heaven can become a kind of weekend and life on earth is that necessary evil, the longest week. We end up dreaming about flying away and looking for the Friday afternoon when we can leave it all behind. But having this weekend mentality is an obstacle to making the kind of lasting change our world needs. It causes us to forget about the little things we've been given to do right here. If you're just joining us, good evening and welcome to Read with World wise Agatha. We're reading chapter 5 of the book Butterfly in Brazil by Glenn Pacquiam and it's titled All the Small Things. Let's see how we can make lasting changes in our everyday life. Faithful with Little When we left the story of Nehemiah, he was weeping. He had just heard of the dismal conditions in his homeland and of his beloved capital, Jerusalem. You remember that from chapter 2. The Jews of Judah had been in exile for more than 70 years as punishment for their repeated disobedience and disregard for God. But they knew the promise that they would one day return home. Nehemiah had grown up in Persia and now served in the palace of Susa. Although it was all he had known, it was not home to him. Hope had begun to rise when he heard that some Jews had already begun to return to Jerusalem. Could it be that God would restore the greatness of his people in Nehemiah's generation, returning them to their land and fulfilling their promised destiny? The news of Jerusalem's devastation, the walls that had once surrounded the city like a giant fortress, now broken and burned, and the shame that covered those who lived there, sucked the hope from his heart and the oxygen from his lungs. The news was no longer secondhand folklore. He had heard the disastrous truth from his own brother's lips. Shock and grief overwhelmed him physically. For days Nehemiah could not eat or filled every moment with prayer to the God of his people. Nehemiah was so overcome with sorrow that he repented of all his sins and those of his family. He reiterated God's vows to scatter his people if they disobeyed, fully acknowledging the reason for their punishment. He also reminded God that if the people returned and obeyed, God had promised to return them to their homeland, even if they were exiled to the farthest richest of the earth. Nehemiah wanted this to be the turning point. He wanted his life to be a spiritual hinge for his entire nation. He desperately wanted his life to affect the situation. Sound familiar? Like Nehemiah, we are moved beyond emotion when we see the condition of our brothers and sisters. We feel great hope and deep pride in being the unstoppable, called out ones, yet we're painfully aware of the sin in our own lives and the faults in so many of our institutions. Nevertheless, like Nehemiah, we must speak of our own, the church, as us, not them. We have sinned and we are the people of God. We are the ones God promised to use to spread his salvation to the ends of the earth. If we return to him, he will bring us back to a place of influence and purpose from which all peoples will be blessed. The problem for us, as it was for Nehemiah, is figuring out how we should help. Nehemiah was a copier to the Persian king at his circus. It might sound like a glamorous job until you find out what it entailed. Nehemiah's responsibility was to taste the king's wine before the king did, to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Wow. So every day when he showed up for work. He was literally one sip away from death. Can you imagine that? Think about that for a second. Maybe you're in a job that isn't all you hoped for or isn't your life's dream. But would you like to trade places with Nehemiah? Mm, Think about that. We've all had jobs that we hated. But how many have had a job where success or failure was literally a life-or-death proposition. For a Starbucks barista, a bad day means spilled coffee, an irritated manager, or some grouchy customers. For a grocery store clerk, a bad day means haggling over prices and pennies. For a professional dog walker, a bad day means running out of those plastic bags for, well, you know. But for Nehemiah, A bad day meant he was dead, like dead. It's possible the only reason he got the job in the first place was that his predecessor had vacated the position, if you know what I mean. So it probably was a family thing. Cupbearers were completely dispensable, yet they had to be profoundly trustworthy. That is a testimony to Nehemiah's character. The job added little meaning to his life and required very little skill or intelligence, but it demanded noble qualities of character with few rewards. A copier's performance had to be driven by motives deeper than compensation, a great retirement package, or personal well-being. No amount of money could compel a man to risk his life and health every day, but personal convictions of a deeper sort could make a man trustworthy in the face of such danger. Nehemiah had what it takes. His thankless job held little potential for greatness. It was, by any standard, a small job, a job without dignity. Yet, Nehemiah persevered and served the king well. He proved himself faithful and trustworthy. In fact, Until the report came from Jerusalem, the king had never seen Nehemiah have a bad day. How amazing. That's an amazing character to have, you know. As anyone knows who has lived with grief, life moves forward without compassion. Nehemiah soon found himself back in the palace of the king, exhausted from his mourning and spent from imploring God to honor his promise to restore Jerusalem. His grief was not something he could hide. He recalled, Early the following spring, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Now I have a great job and maybe you do too, but I can't say that I've always shown up for work in the best frame of mind. And when I'm having a bad day, the people around me know it. But that's not the way it was with Nehemiah. In all the time he served the king, putting his life on the line every day, he had maintained a cheerful, good-natured spirit. That's what made it so remarkable the one day when he appeared sad. If you're just joining us, good evening and welcome to Read with Worldly Wise, Agatha. We're reading chapter 5 of the book Butterfly in Brazil by Glenn Pacquiam and it's titled All the Small Things. Welcome back to the read. Faithfulness and Favor Startled that the king was actually talking to him and even more amazed by the king's question, Nehemiah was instantly terrified. Gathering his composure, he responded, Long live the king how can i not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire nehemiah must have thought he was dreaming when he heard the king ask, well how can i help you nehemiah's courage began to grow as he recognized the king's favor if it pleases the king and if you are pleased with me your servant "'Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried.'" The next verse says, "'The king had the queen sitting beside him.'" And as I imagine it, he suddenly became aware of her and momentarily snapped out of his benevolent mood. He pressed Nehemiah for more details. "'How long will you be gone? When will you return?' Nehemiah and the king spent the next few minutes working out an agreeable timetable. Nehemiah grew bold enough to ask the king for letters to the governors of the surrounding provinces that would grant him safe passage. He also asked for a letter to the manager of the king's forest so that he could get the timber he needed to rebuild the temple gates, the city walls, and a home for himself. The king granted everything he asked for. Here is the point. Nehemiah won the king's favor for his great request because he had always been faithful in small tasks. It's precisely because of his record of excellent, joyful service that his day of sorrow was noticed. Because Nehemiah had always served the king well, the king was ready and willing to help Nehemiah in unprecedented ways. Nehemiah demonstrated excellence in the way that American statesman John W. Gardner once described as doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. There's a lesson to be learned there for all of us. By being faithful in the small things of life, Nehemiah earned the favor of the king, which opened the door to greater things to come. Like Jesus said, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. Nehemiah learned faithfulness in small tasks and he opened the door to some pretty big opportunities. Grassroots worship. Every Friday night, I get to lead college-age students in reckless, passionate worship. On Sunday mornings, I stand alongside a great team of friends to lead our whole church family in worship. During the week, I get to work with young people who are training to be worship leaders in churches. And to top it off, I get to travel with Desperation Band to conferences and churches around the city, leading worship and telling the story of what God is doing in our midst. But it's possible that none of this would have unfolded if not for a young high school girl. Who took a small step wow when i was 13 or 14 the junior high school group or the junior high group at my church in malaysia needed someone to lead worship one of the youth leaders a high school girl who was helping out with the junior high group asked me if i would be willing to do it my immediate response was no i don't think that's my calling the truth is i was simply too scared Unfortunately, the youth leader was persistent and asked me to try just once. So with some hesitation, I agreed. For me, as a teenager who loved God and music, that one chance to lead worship was the biggest deal in my world. For a month before my scheduled day of leading worship, I fell asleep every night going through song lists in my head. I know I'm weird. Looking back, that opportunity seems like such a small event on such a small scale, but its implications for my life were huge. Leading worship quickly became a regular part of my junior high and high school years, and by the time I went to college, I was ready to dedicate my life to leading worship and teaching, and all because a high school girl did her ordinary task of coordinating junior high worship extraordinarily well. She didn't just ask me and let me decline. She was faithful to take the second small step of encouraging me to at least give it a shot. Her simple word of encouragement, a small flap of a butterfly's wings, had an impact that altered the costs of my life. If you're just joining us, good evening and welcome to Read With Worldwise, Agatha. It's the book Butterfly in Brazil by Glenn Pacquiam. Chapter 5, All the Small Things. Welcome back. Pay it forward. After college, I joined the staff of the university as a worship leader. After after a year of that, I really wanted to plug in at a local church and serve. My roommate's brother, Ross, was and still is the worship pastor at a church in Colorado that I really admired, New Life Church in Colorado Springs, I had visited on a few occasions and felt a real connection and calling. When Ross offered me a one-year apprenticeship, I decided to accept it, even though I had received offers to be the main worship pastor at some other churches. I couldn't shake the sense that new life was where I was supposed to be. But when I got there, it was hard not to feel as if I had taken a step backward. I went from leading worship for thousands of college students, to making photocopies of music for the choir and setting up for choir rehearsals, <laughs> I can imagine. I tried to do it well, I did it as well as I could, but I'll be honest, on the inside I was thinking, 4 months ago I was leading worship with 5000 students, now I'm not leading anywhere. I played the piano on Sunday mornings. The biggest opportunity I had to lead worship was for our newly begun college ministry called The Mill, which had about 30 or 40 people at the time. From 5,000 to 40, that's a big difference. And it was challenging. Yet, I realized it was my turn to be faithful in small things. Just as that youth leader had been faithful to encourage me to lead worship when I was 14, I now had to be faithful with the small, simple tasks given to me. Instead of paying her back, I had to pay it forward, just like in the movie, by being faithful now. I began to put a lot of time and effort into it. I began to get excited about it and jumped in as much as I could. The faithfulness of those before us has opened the doors for us to be where we are. Should we squander the opportunities? Should we not follow in their footsteps and be faithful with what we have been given to do? I meet people from time to time who find a roundabout way of asking me how they can get a job like mine. I think of the words of an old preacher to a bunch of the young upstart ministers. You want to do what I do? but you don't want to do what I did. You might want to put a bookmark to that in your head, or you might want to write write that down somewhere. You want to do what I do, but you don't want to do what I did. The people who come up to me didn't see what the job looked like six years ago. The truth is, God put me in this place and gave me the strength to keep going, and then he blessed it. Because of the faithfulness of Aaron Stern, the mill's pastor, and a host of volunteers, God has continued to add people to our gatherings. Today, more than a thousand college-age young people come to the mill every Friday night. If any of us who were there at the start would have bailed when the going got tough and it looks like the group will never grow. We would have missed out on so much that we've learned through the process. D.L. Moody said, There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. If we don't prove ourselves faithful in all the small things, God will never entrust to us the bigger investments. If we fail to meet God in the little things, we run the risk of never seeing God work at all. It has been an amazing time. If there is anything I am picking from tonight's read, it is to learn to value all the small things and all the small phases of my life. I don't know what you have picked from tonight, but I have been exceptionally blessed. Reading to you has given me something to ponder on, and it has given me this drive to get up and go. Thank you for tuning in to Read with Worldly Wise Agatha tonight. Tomorrow, we're going to be looking at chapter 6. And chapter 6 is titled, Big Dreams. You might wonder, well, we're talking about making impacts from small beginnings and from small differences. So, why should we be talking about big dreams right now? When you tune in tomorrow, you will know why. Thanks for reading with me once again. Thanks for listening to me. This will be available on anchor and other platforms shortly and you will get the link please don't forget to share with friends share with family share it on all your social media platforms possible thank you thank you and thank you for lending me your ears every night i am so so honored and it's a great privilege to serve you my voice see you again tomorrow on read with world well, agatha 8 p.m west african time have a good night